From the studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling for Friday, December 1st, 2023. We are in December. It is conference championship weekend. It's a, it's a hefty NFL weekend on some sides, which means we're going to start with Jets-Falcons. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, we, we can try Jets-Falcons. That would not go well. Um... I instead want to talk about ego. Ego is such a big part in coaches, swagger, ego, however you want to look at it. Whether it's Nick Saban and the record he's put up, Kirby Smart, the record he's put up, Aaron Rodgers trying to get back this season. I feel like a lot of the talk in the next couple of weeks is going to be about ego in a way that we haven't looked at ego or swagger before. Um, whether college or NFL, what's your thoughts on this? Yeah, I think it's what comes with being the best at what you do. Uh, we always see ego being channeled in some senses, you know, with certain athletes in a very positive way. You look at someone like a Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, you know, their, their egos propelled those individuals to be the best at their sport at that point in time. Um, and then you look at some other people and their ego gets the best of them and prevents them from doing what they do well. And, you know, there's plenty of examples in sports of that happening. You look at, you know, recently like Urban Meyer, the way he ran Jacksonville. You can look at David Tepper in Carolina and how his ego and personality is affecting his team from being functional. Um, you know, take it more to what we're talking about now. You know, from a college perspective, you coaches need to find ways to project and motivate their team. Uh, you know, if you're an 18, 19, 20-year-old kid, you're pretty impressionable. Um, and you look and you see how your coaching staff or your coaches are, are carrying themselves, and, and you tend to mimic what it is that they're doing. You know, the confidence, the ability to articulate what your plan is has made guys like Nick Saban, Kirby Smart really successful. And we're starting to see a little bit, a little bit of that too happening with, you know, Oregon and Dan Lanning, um, you know, the way he's projecting, the way that he's articulating, the way that he is standing up for his team and confidence in his team trickles down. Um, in the NFL, um, you know, we're starting to see ego get the better of some people. I think we're, you know, Bill Belichick and the way that he's run his organization and his program for the last 20 years worked because someone balanced that out in Tom Brady, and now there's no counterbalance to him. And his roster management, his way of saying this is the way we've done things, we're going to keep doing it this way, isn't working out. You know, he's probably thought to himself many nights saying, you know, I've done this, I know it works, I'm going to keep doing it because I know it will work. It's not. And you mentioned Aaron Rodgers, you know, that I don't know if it's ego or if it's, I don't even know the word I'm trying to look for here, aloof. He's very aloof. You know, he thinks that whatever he says is gospel. He thinks he walks around like he's the second coming at times. He says stuff to say things, and it's it's really detrimental at the end of the day. So it's really how you utilize that aspect of your personality to carry on your day-to-day. Some people do it really, really well. Some don't do it really well. And for some, you know, we see it come out at the 
worst of times, and, and I think that's what we're seeing at times, you know, play out, especially this fall with the way that we're seeing things, you know, go with your guy Aaron Rodgers, Bill Belichick, you know, David Tepper, again, just to mention a few. Yeah. Um, it is sometimes unfortunate. It, 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 I think you summed it up well. It can go um, for good or for bad, depending on who it is. All right, let's start with tonight, Oregon-Washington, coming up at 8 Eastern on an ABC. Um, rematch, obviously, of the uh, regular season matchup that Washington had. This one, though, is on neutral ground in Las Vegas. Does that make any impact, and how do you see this uh, Bo Nix attempt uh, faring for the Ducks? Yeah, this game is, I think, the most intriguing one of the weekend. Maybe because it's first, um, and it's the first domino that's going to really, I think, set off the rest of what we're going to see tomorrow transpire. But this game was played what? Middle of October? Yeah. They played in Seattle. Washington was a three-point favorite in Seattle. They, they pushed. Like, it was a three-point win. Here we sit on December 1st. And they are nine point underdogs. That is a twelve point swing. Now I haven't been betting a lot. I've probably been, you know, really into betting the maybe like the last five or six years. Um, so I don't know if this has happened in the past, but usually, you know, in, in the NFL and and stuff, you see rematches uh, and and you see divisional opponents play each other in the playoffs or throughout the course of the year and. Uh, you know, a great example, the Giants, right? They were one-point favorite, uh, one or two-point underdogs opening night and 17-point dogs when they played Dallas in the, the second time around. Now, a lot of that was due to injury um, and a roster situation for the Giants at that point. But here I'm looking and seeing 12 points, and I'm thinking, what am I missing? I, I watched a lot of these two teams over the course of the year, Washington has sort of peaked and has come down where I think Oregon is rising, but still, nine points is a lot of points in the conference championship game against two teams that played against each other fairly, fairly tight a couple of weeks ago. There's chatter from what I have heard and listened to uh, to try to get information on this game that maybe Penix is dealing with something. You know, he's consistently had worse and worse numbers. As the year has gone on, whereas Bo Nix has consistently gone up uh, with his his uh, statistical uh, data points that we look at for the position. I think Oregon is coming into this game with a ton of confidence. They haven't really been tested since that Washington game. But there's something about this line that is just freaking me out a little bit if I would be an Oregon fan. It almost is implying that this game will be a blowout against a team that has some dynamic wide receivers, a good coach, and I think a team that's going to feel very disrespected uh, with the way that they are being perceived right now. Um, Oregon's a better team in my opinion. Um, I don't know if they're nine points better than Washington. I expect Washington to be able to put together a performance here that's going to, I think, shock a lot of people. I think that they can play with Oregon. Um, we're also talking about a very young team in Oregon. Uh, you know, they've got to be focused. They have to understand what this implies you know, for them and their program. 
how they channel that will be interesting. Um, but I do think if Washington can go punch for punch early on with Oregon, it's going to be a tight game. Um, and I think Washington has that ability to step up. I really like their coach. Kalen DeBoer is a really, really good coach. He's got some balls on him. Uh, you know, if you saw that game last week against Washington State, that crazy fourth down play that they called. I see Washington really coming out in this game and, and really giving it everything they can. I just don't think that they're nine points less than Oregon, even on a neutral field. Um, but then again, I don't know a lot of, about what goes on in Vegas either. I'm just, I'm using my eyes when I watch the games. Right. You know, I, and I just think both these quarterbacks are, are have been capable lately of, of providing some sparks and really igniting their offenses. Uh, you know, a lot of chatter too on the pods that I've listened to is, you know, Oregon, they expect Oregon to run Bo Nix a lot more. He hasn't really run a lot this year. It really would be um, against the trend if, if they run him a lot. I do expect him to be a little bit more mobile in this game and take advantage of maybe some opportunities there. Uh, but I do think, again, I, I think Washington's going to come out in this game and be really motivated, really take it to Oregon, and see if Oregon can handle some of the punches that have been thrown, thrown at them um, because they haven't really faced a lot since that Washington game six, seven weeks ago. Uh, what are you expecting from the Big 12 championship game tomorrow? Again, this line here, 14 points. The line is indicating that Texas should be blowing out Oklahoma State. If th- I think there's a high, high, uh, higher likelihood of a blowout than there is a close game. I think Oklahoma State's been very valiant in their effort to get to this game, um, but there are limitations for them. I think their quarterback play is, is middling. Um, the defensive line for Texas should be able to get after him. If they can stop the run game for Oklahoma State, Texas should be able to dictate the terms of, of what's happening um, on that side of the ball. On the other side, you know, one thing Texas has not been is, uh, is been efficient in the red zone, uh, you know, finishing drives. They, they were able to do that last week. You know, they'll be probably be able to hit some explosive plays in this game as well with some of the athletes they have on that field. They are just the better team overall. Unless there's a complete meltdown at quarterback, I don't expect Oklahoma State to really stay in this game. Their only, their only chance to get is turnovers, and I think being able to control the ball. And I, think, I just think Texas's defensive line is just too strong for that to happen. So I expect a lot of third down and longs for Oklahoma State. They're going to have to be able to convert it. You know, their quarterback isn't great. He tends to leave the pocket really, really early. And I just think there's too much speed uh, from Texas to allow too many breakdowns in the back end. So I think Texas is going to win that game. I'm not touching it from a betting perspective. You know, let, let that one play out. I just think that Texas is just too good on and too many key, key spots in the field in this game. Uh, Dan Flecker with us hearing, uh, here previewing everything that is the college football uh, conference championship weekend and then some NFL. Let's flip to the ACC for a second here. Louisville trying to pull the upset on Florida State once again without Jordan Travis. I can see Florida State winning this game. I don't know if they're one of the top four teams in the country, which is a, 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 a which is a debate we'll have momentarily. A, how do you see the game playing out? First of all, for for Florida State and Louisville. Yes, I watched Florida State Florida last week just to get an idea of, you know, what they would look like. Just wanted to see 
you know, what they had out there. Um, it wasn't pretty for them early. Um, but now I fast forward to this game. I've been watching Louisville a couple of times, and, and everyone is surprised, not surprisingly, on Louisville. They're, they, you know, Brom's a great coach. We've spoken about that numerous times, I think, on other matchups that we've kind of broken down. I really like him. I, I think he's done a really great job here. But at the beginning of the year, again, when I was prepping for the year, making my bets, trying to see what was going to happen from a future perspective, Brom even admitted this in his ACC press conference, you know, preseason. This was the year for Louisville to win games. Their schedule was soft. They did not play Clemson, did not play Florida State. I don't even think they played North Carolina. Um, they're, those are the top three teams, you know, from a preseason perspective in the ACC. Their quarterback play to me cancels out the quarterback play for Florida State. Plummer on the Louisville side, he's not a, a world beater. Uh, a lot of what they do is schemed and Florida State has too many athletes on the field, I think, for me to sit here and say they're going to be out-schemed in this game. And, and Norvell on the other side is also a really good coordinator. I look at the outside wide receivers in this matchup for Florida State and say those are some dudes. Keon Coleman is a top 10, top 15 pick, depending you know where you want to rate him um, You know, in the NFL next year. Jump ball guy can go up and get it, and he's also really good in the open field. He reminds me a lot of, of T. Higgins. And then they have Johnny Wilson on the other other side, who is six seven and you know can go up and get go up against some contested um, plays. And then you know their backfield has some very uh, I think underrated pieces uh, with Benson, who's been leading the way for them. Um, and they just have, I think, too much speed. Again, this is going to be, I think, the theme, you know, in this type, in this, this weekend is who has the speed out there? Because those are the guys. Um, those are the guys you got to get the ball to. I, I just, people are underrating Florida State's, I think, playmakers and their defense. Jared Verse, again, top 20 pick in the NFL next year. Um, for Florida State on the defensive end, you know he's going to be able, I think, to to make some plays for them on that side. I just think that there's too many guys on Florida State, and I think that this mentality that people are thinking, okay, Florida State's not the best team, one of the four best teams in the country, blah blah blah. They don't care about that. They care about going out here and winning this game. Norvell cares about going out there winning this game. He spent a lot of time and energy trying to turn around this Florida State program. To get them back to be even in this type of discussion, and they're there. I just think that they got too many guys, and, and the way that people have been viewing Florida State to me is just through a lens that is too superficial. Um, I, I they've been they've won every single game they played this year for a good reason. I know Jordan Travis not being there is going to really hurt their opportunity potentially to be in the college football playoff. But if they can get the ball to the guys they need to get the ball to. Let them make plays and then let their defense eat. I think they're going to have a really good shot in this game to win. All right, which brings us to the SEC championship game, which is only meaningful because Alabama got a fourth and a mile prayer in the back of the end zone that I don't even know. 
things happen in the Iron Bowl that don't happen anywhere else. Rivalry games, man, it's just... And, and it only happened at Jordan Hare. Yes. I don't remember crazy things at Tuskegee you know, at Bryant Denny. You know, you had the kick six, the Bryce Young um, drive a couple yep. years ago, this play, like, everything happens there. Yep. So, this brings us to Georgia, Alabama. I don't think Bama is good enough to win this game. It took prayers to get them to beat other people. They have losses on their season, including one from what could be a playoff team in Texas, which is why Texas is ranked ahead of them. Um, I don't see them winning this game, and I think Georgia may be saying, let's make this very easy for you uh, CFP people. Let's just stomp on them and just try to get this win out very early. I don't know what the line is offhand, but I, if, if I'm Georgia, I go in there and, try, and, and just try to win this game in the first quarter. Yeah, I think I think the more interesting matchup in this game is Georgia's offense versus Alabama's defense. Um, because I do think that Georgia's defense has shown signs this year at times of being a little leaky. Again, we're comparing this Georgia team to the last two national championship teams where they had a hundred guys get drafted. Um, they're just not there yet. But on the Alabama side, I think they've got some guys that can really create some issues for Georgia. This is a game to me that's going to be very high scoring because you have a lot of good players on the field. And even with the defenses that these two teams have, I think it's going to be an up-and-down type of game. Alabama needs to at least score 30 in this game to win. There's no way they're keeping Georgia under 24. Again, unless like Carson Beck has an absolutely terrible game and Georgia has to continuously come from behind and you know they're easier for mistakes to happen when you're throwing the ball all over the field. But I think Alabama needs to get out and run. And Georgia needs to limit the big plays from happening. But I do think that... There's going to be some breakdowns. Milrow's ability to keep plays alive is going to potentially create some holes in the coverage. I expect him to be run a lot in this game as well because, again, what do you have to lose if you're Alabama? You've got to go out there and you've got to make plays. I expect Milrow to carry the ball 15 to 17 times in this game. Look for a lot of deep shots. With those deep shots, you either get big completions or or potentially pass interference calls. I think this game is going to be up and down. And I think Georgia wins it because at the end of the day, they have the better team, uh, the better quarterback. But Alabama's been in this position before, two years ago. Everyone thought that they were going to get run out of the the stadium. I believe that line was around seven, and they smacked Georgia. Yeah, Georgia beat them in the national championship game, so you know it didn't really matter when it came down to that, but... This is a situation to me that Alabama's been in before. Saban's been in before. He understands, I think, what they need to do. It's not his best team. Not even close. But this Georgia team, this Georgia defense also isn't their best defense in the Kirby Smart era. So I think this game is going to be up and down, up and down. And I do think that when the fourth quarter comes around and it's like 24-24, that you know whatever team is able to make some big plays in, in that fourth quarter will be able to run away with it. Dan Flecker with us here on Teeing It Up. What is your top four come, come Sunday? Yeah, so I think it really depends on, on what happens, right? 
I think I think Oregon wins tonight, so Washington will be out. I think Texas wins. I think Georgia wins. Michigan wins, and I think Florida State wins. So then you're looking at a one, you know, Georgia one, Michigan two, and then you have the three, four spots open. The, the argument's going to be: Is it the best teams or the most deserving teams? The most deserving teams would be in that in this scenario. Washington stays at three. No, you know, I'm sorry, Florida State goes to three. And then you have the argument between Oregon and Texas. Oregon is ranked higher. Logic would indicate they jump up to four. Talking about the best teams, Texas is better than Florida State. Oregon is better than Florida State, even though they have one loss in the season. So if you're the college football playoff committee, are you looking to put out the best four teams? Or are you looking to put in the, the four best, the four most deserving teams? I, I, in my gut, I'm thinking about this very logically, Florida State gets in there. But we've mentioned this on this podcast, the networks run the sport. Don't be surprised if Florida State is left out, even if they win. Now, they would love it if they lose. That's one less conversation you have to have. They're not in with a loss regardless. What do I want to see? I'd rather see Oregon and Texas in there. I think those would be much more intriguing games, much better games, and they would provide something a little bit different. Some would argue Florida State's different as well. But yeah. I think the look-ahead the look ahead line with Florida State, if they stay at the four spot against Georgia, is like 16, 17 points. You know, we've left out Michigan, and I think both of us agree that they will easily beat Iowa tomorrow night, correct? Oh, sorry, sorry. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right. So, there's one team, and uh, Danny has been really insistent on this, that he has not mentioned on this podcast, and he said privately to me, he is not interested in them, and that is the Ohio State Buckeyes. Yeah. Would you like to mention to the audience why you don't think they stand a chance in any kind of chaos rumor uh, I uh, get scenario? It. I get it. They beat Notre Dame. They beat Penn State. If the committee somehow puts Ohio State in there, if chaos ensues, without winning a Big Ten championship game, without winning the Big Ten, you know, it, you, you can't do that. You can't do You have to, again, if you're one of the four best teams, you should make a conference championship game at least. That should be like a barometer, like make a conference championship game. Yeah. And for them to have gone in, get in two years in a row without doing that, I think it's just, this is just a farce, right? Like, we're just here, like, pick the best teams at the beginning of the year and let them just play in the, in the playoff. I, I don't see them even sniffing it. Again, I think Texas will win, so that automatically, I think, disqualifies Ohio State, and I think Oregon wins. So that would, and so if Oregon wins tonight, I think we could kind of put the kibosh on Ohio State getting in there because they'll be the best one lost team. Um, but again, if chaos ensues, which is very, very likely, uh, given you know this is one of the most open championship weekends we've had in a long time, uh, Ohio State's name being brought up or being put in there would just be an absolute 
ridiculous situation. I, I really don't want to see them anywhere near this playoff. Well, on that note, I'm hoping they leave Ohio State out. Uh, we we move to the pros, um, where I think a lot of people will look to um, the uh, 425 game this week as, as maybe the best uh, game of the weekend, or they'll look towards something else, as fans usually do, find their game. But if you look at that 425 game between San Francisco and Philly, are you still on the San Fran train, or is this a, a gut check test for San Fran, gut check for Philly after their issues having to go to overtime last week? Where are you when it comes to these two teams? This game is more important to San Francisco than it is to Philadelphia. Big picture. Because Philadelphia still will have a better record than them. They still have the inside track to number one seed. They still have the inside track to their division in a home playoff game. I get that Philadelphia keeps winning. And it's you don't apologize for winning. But again, I went back and started looking at this game, trying to find out where my... You know, my money would be going in this game because I'm definitely taking somebody in this game. Philadelphia has played, you know, some good football over the course of this year, not some not so good football. One thing that stuck out to me is that they trailed in the fourth quarter and through their past four games. At what point does that take a toll on a team and eventually wear them down? You can't continuously play like that. No. It's tough. They've also gone through a gauntlet. Dallas, Kansas City, Buffalo, San Fran, and then Dallas again next week. That is a lot. And I get it. They've, they've won those games. They've come out on top. But this is, to me, a spot play. San Francisco is healthy. They're coming off of a, an easy game on Thanksgiving, have an extra couple of days rest. Meanwhile, you have Philadelphia, who played on a Monday night, Played a really, really tough, hard-fought game. Came back on Sunday, played an overtime game where their defense was on the field for 90 snaps. Had to come back and exert a ton of energy to get into that game and win it. Now they play San Francisco, and then they have to go to Dallas. One mighty tough schedule. Hey, hats off to them if they get through this stretch and they win and they make me eat my words. That's fine. But this is a spot, a situational play, where I think the situation dictates San Francisco. And I get it. Philadelphia's at home. We've talked about it. They've done really, really well at home. It's really hard to win in Philadelphia. But Buffalo had that game last week. They had it. That ridiculous touchdown pass that hurts through, that tied up the game. Buffalo's drive's not finishing at the end. I've said this numerous times. The back end that's, that Philadelphia secondary is is ripe for the picking, and Buffalo took advantage of that last week. I think San Francisco can take advantage of that. I think San Francisco is also coming to this game with a really really bad taste in their mouth from last year, knowing that they had a spot in the Super Bowl and they couldn't even really compete in that game given the injuries that occurred. 
I, I just think San Francisco is a spot in this game. And again, I may look really, really stupid on Sunday at 7.30 when, when Philadelphia kicks a game-winning field goal uh, from 65 yards because that's what they do. <laughs> but I, I'm taking San Francisco in this game. I just think the spot, the last couple of weeks, the way that San Francisco is coming into this game, the amount of energy Philadelphia has had just in the past two weeks in the games they've played, I think it's it's a situation where if you're Philadelphia, it's not fun losing a game, but knowing that you have the division still in hand, the number one seed still in hand, even if you lose this game, and then you go to Dallas next week and you sort of regroup, I, I think that's I, I think that's what's gonna what's gonna happen, how it's gonna play out. But again, I may look really dumb on uh, on Sunday night, but I, I'm going San Francisco in this game. I just think that they're in the, in the better situation right now. Danny Flecker with us here on Teeing It Up. Uh, we have the Sunday night matchup between one of the greatest pop stars in the world and Taylor Swift and one of the greatest gymnasts in the world and then Simone Biles. Chiefs Packers. Sunday night. You, you see what I did there? <laughs> Jonathan Owens of the Packers is uh, married to Simone. Um, people are hyping this as like Patrick's maybe one or two chances to, you know, head the Lambeau. Here's how I look at this game. The Chiefs are the better team. I know the Packers are coming on of late, but the Chiefs are the better team, period. Goodbye. Yeah, they, they, they are. Um and they were a little out of character last week by scoring points in the second half. That's not something that they were doing um, up until that game. I think it's a tough spot for them, too. Um, again, look at their schedule and look at the spot. Like at this point in the year in the NFL, you got to look at spots, not necessarily teams. They had a tough Monday night game against Philadelphia that they lost. Turnarounds, short week. Head to Las Vegas, looked really, really sluggish to start off that game. Then they started to pick it up. But was that more more of a Kansas City thing or Las Vegas thing? Um, probably Las Vegas is not very good, and, and Kansas City is a, a lot better than that. And here you have a Green Bay team coming off of a big, big, big win on Thanksgiving. A couple extra days rest at home. Looks like there might be some snow in the forecast. I think Kansas City is going to win this game, but I'm looking again from a betting side. I'm taking Green Bay in six points. I think it's going to be a little bit tighter than than what people may think here. Um, Kansas City has to continue to prove to me that they can they can put together complete games. They haven't really done that in a long time. The second half outburst last week again it wasn't what they've been doing. I think we referenced it last week. They were scoring like 5.9 points per game in the second half. Um, they were in comeback mode for most of that game last week, too. I think Green Bay has some pieces to give them some issues. I, I think that Kansas City is still searching for that extra individual on the offensive side that can make plays for them. Um, it hasn't been consistent for them, and it's still something I think that's going to be a bug for them until they can actually do what it, you know, until they can actually get that. And you have to hope, too, that Travis Kelsey gets going a little bit. He's still not where I think they want him to be or where he wants to be. 
Um, you know, as far as production is concerned, um, you know, he's had five straight games, I mean, four straight games with under 100 yards. That's not really what we see from him. You know, we, we see a lot more than that. And, you know, he's kind of tailed off um, a lot, you know, since that Denver game that they played uh, before the bye. So if if they can find somebody to emerge as that, that second man, for them, I think that they're going to be really, really hard to beat, but it hasn't been consistent enough for them, and until that happens, I'm going to continue to fade them from a betting perspective because it's going to be really hard for them to be able to sustain their leads because they're going to become too predictable. Any other game on the NFL slate that strikes your fancy? Yeah, there's some interesting games this week. I know it's, again, a weak slate, but these are usually the slates that produce the, the most intrigue. Last night's game was a lot of fun. Um, one of the best Thursday night games I've seen in a long, long time. Uh, big win for Dallas there, but um, Detroit at New Orleans. Is Detroit able to get back on, uh, you know, in a groove? They still they haven't looked good the last couple of weeks. Their defense has been sort of a sieve. You know, Jared Goff had a really bad game on Thursday night, but I think this is a get-right spot for them going into New Orleans, where I think half their roster is on the injury report. Um, your Jets against Atlanta. The Jets may not have anything to play for, but Atlanta does. They're favorite. They're in first place. Really that's not really a good spot for Atlanta, historically. No. Do the Jets have anything left? I, I don't know. Um, we'll find out. I think that game's going to be a lot grosser than people think. <laughs> I mean, I think people think that game's going to be gross to begin with. A 34-point total. I think that's a game that if the Jets get up for, they could maybe beat Atlanta. You're, you're talking about a quarterback that's not really that good. A defense that that can cause some, you know, cause issues, cause turnovers. You know, the Jets can do that. This could be a game. Maybe they put some things together. They get some short fields. You know, who knows? Um, Denver-Houston, really interesting because that game is going to, I think, help indicate which team has the inside track for the seventh seed in the wild card. I think Houston maybe lost their opportunity to fight for the division losing last week, but they're still in the playoff hunt, um, and Denver's been one of the hottest teams in the league. Uh, from a win perspective, I don't know if they're – that good, um, but they've been able to do some things offensively that have been able to give them the opportunity to win games. Um, so that should be, you know, one of the more interesting games. Um, and I think another one too under the radar is India, Tennessee. India's been one of those, you know, feel good stories this year. They lose Jonathan Taylor. Uh, they go into Tennessee where Tennessee is bruised and battered. But these are the types of games that Mike Vrabel seems to get his team up for, and you know, does he put a little bit of a wrench into what is going to be happening from a playoff perspective. You know, that's, that's I think, the role Tennessee is going to be playing this year. So a lot of periphery games I think that could be very, very interesting. But obviously the big the big money game is Tampa Bay. As I mean, sorry, San Francisco, Philadelphia, and Kansas City at Green Bay. We shall see how they all play out and how these conference championship games play out as well. Danny Flecka, thank you as always for coming on Teeing It Up. Looking forward to breaking it down as we continue. No problem, man. Have a good one. You got it, and the same to you out there. Have a great weekend.